The element of trust is one of the most important and most needful attributes of any relationship that we find ourselves within. The element of trust in the Lord. The element of trust in a marriage, in a friendship. And that's especially so when it comes to matters of the church, this Christian religion that we hold so dear. And that trust must begin with the leadership, the church leadership. And that's made so very clear all throughout these scriptures. In Titus chapter 1, we're told that a church leader must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, in these next several verses of Scripture in this book of Luke chapter 11 that we'll study over the coming weeks, we find that the Lord Jesus is addressing this matter of trustworthiness at great length, especially involving the church leaders of his day. And as we'll see, his words with them were not words of praise, but they were words of rebuke and reproof. And this prompts a question for us about the church leaders of our day. And may I ask, how trustworthy are the words, the teachings, and the behaviors of your and my favorite preachers? Especially those that we frequently turn to on our radio, or our television set, or one of our favorite internet sites? Do their words and their behaviors match up to their preaching? And especially do their words and their behaviors match up to these instructions that I just read for us from the book of Titus? And very importantly, what about our own church, this church? What about my words and my behaviors? As you listen to the words that I read from these scriptures and the things that I say about them and the behaviors that you see in me, are those things consistent with how you believe the Lord Jesus would have me to be? Is it consistent with what we just read in the book of Titus? How truly trustworthy am I? And again, that's the consideration that's being presented to us here in this passage of Scripture that we'll be studying today and then over the coming weeks. Here in these words, we'll see that the Lord never tried to avoid such matters and such questions as those. He actually welcomed them as he went about preaching and teaching in the towns and the villages there in Israel. It was in those circumstances that the Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees would try then to engage Jesus in conversation. And that would be his special opportunities to talk to them about their leadership. One thing seems always to be clear, that not many of those Jewish leaders that Jesus encountered believed him to be the person that he was claiming to be, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that made most every encounter with those church leaders adversarial. But Jesus 
had a very special godly attribute that those Jewish leaders didn't know about. It's the one I spoke about a few moments ago. He was always able to know what they were thinking. Every thought. And not only their thoughts, but also their motives. And so in this passage of Scripture that we'll study today, as a Pharisee interrupted Jesus and asked him to come and have dinner with him, Jesus was under no misconception as to the man's motives. Jesus knew that while the man might be simply curious, at the heart of that man, at the heart of that man was deception. And Jesus knew it. But he accepted this man's invitation anyway. Now I confess to you that I would have been very reluctant to go into that man's home. To me it would have been like me going on the television program The View, stepping into a den of lions that wanted to devour me. But Jesus had no such hesitation. He was far more intelligent and far more in command of his emotions, which is so very important when you encounter adversarial relations. He was far more intelligent and far more in command of his emotions and of his wisdom to be fearful of a meagerly Pharisee. And so Jesus agreed then to dine with this man. And then also, at my reading of these words of this passage, I first wondered why Jesus would agree to visit with this man. But I was quickly reminded that this is the way of our Lord. This is the way of our Lord. He gives His truth to every person, whether they be good or they be evil, so that men and women have a moment of choice, a moment of choice, and they then will be without excuse. If their hearts receive Him, then they'll be saved. But if their hearts have evil intents, then they will have at least been warned of the eternal dangers to their souls. And so the Lord Jesus then agreed to dine with this man. Listen to these words given to us in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 37. And as he spoke, this is the Lord Jesus, as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but rather give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you. It's a curious thing, the manner in which Jesus engaged all those many different people that he encountered along his way. With some of them, he was gentle and encouraging. And especially so with those who seemed genuinely not to comprehend, not to realize the wretchedness that was within their sinful state. The woman at the well, the prostitute that was being condemned by those church leaders. And then especially also his disciples as he taught them and as he rebuked them. But Jesus did not often extend that same gentleness to the religious leaders, those scribes and the Pharisees. It was supposed to be their lifelong pursuit 
to study those words of the law, to learn and to teach the sacred laws of God to their congregations. Men who seemed willing to engage their minds in the deeper things of God, but not their spirits, not their spirits, not their hearts. With those men, it seems that Jesus addressed their behaviors more directly and with stronger rebukes than he did most of the other people. Here, even as a guest in this man's house, Jesus cut straight to the point and he said to that Pharisee, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? I wonder if those Pharisees were able to comprehend the simple analogy that Jesus was using, that he was speaking about their soul, about their spirit. And then on a similar occasion given to us in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus was even stronger in his rebuke, calling the scribes and the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, but dead on the inside. Dead on the inside. And then also there in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people, and there he warned the people to use great care, use great care as they listened to and as they followed the instructions of their Jewish leaders. There he said to them, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Now that instruction from the Lord Jesus reminds me of an old adage about saying and not doing. And that's what Jesus was instructing his disciples regarding the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus was saying, yes, listen to and obey the words of the scribes and the Pharisees when they give you the scriptures. But by no means do as those scribes and Pharisees themselves do. Now, why would he give them that instruction? It's because legitimately so, while the scribes and the Pharisees continued to sit in the seat of Moses teaching the eternal truths of God from the book of the law, their words would be trustworthy. But by no means were the people to trust and to follow the personal behaviors of those same teachers of the law. Folks, thanks be to God. His word is true. And it will always remain true and trustworthy, regardless of whether or not the ones that are presenting those words are godly people. And that's a lesson for you and me in our own day and time. Some, perhaps even many of our church leaders of today, will fall short in the character and in the responsibility and integrity that they should exercise. And some of them, unfortunately, will do it very publicly. Think back for a moment. With some of those church leaders that we have witnessed in the past, they taught And we listened and we learned many, many good things, godly lessons from these scriptures. But then later on, we would learn that behind the scenes, they had for many years been living a life of deception and sinful behavior. My thoughts go to a favorite evangelist that I followed for years, Ravi Zacharias. Over the lifetime of his ministry, Ravi Zacharias gave many good and godly instructions from these scriptures. 
But later, after he had died, we learned that his personal life was at times very, very sinful. Now why and how can that be so? It's as simple as this truth that Jesus is conveying here. God's word is true, and it remains pure, no matter who is giving it, even if it's being given through the most corrupt of preachers and teachers. And then think with me one step further. Is that not also true for you and me? Is that not also true for you and me? Is not also your heart and my heart in much the same wretched condition as Jeremiah the prophet declared desperately wicked and deceitful above all things? We don't like to think of ourselves as being that way, but folks, we are. God tells us that we are. But though we are, even from within that condition, we can still give forth pure and wholesome truths to our families. We teach our children. And I can also do that from this pulpit. Sadly so. One first safeguard as we listen to the words being preached to us is that God carefully guards His Word. So much so that His Word remains pure and uncorrupted in spite of the wretched condition of the heart of the one who presents it. Does that mean that everything that a teacher or a preacher is saying as they hold forth this Word of God in their hand, that it's absolutely true? No. The scribes and the Pharisees proved that these words of God can be twisted. And they can be twisted to sound as if they mean something that they were never intended to mean. So then, what is our ultimate safeguard against such teaching? What is our protection against the mishandling of God's Word? Our ultimate safeguard will always be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It was Him, the Holy Spirit, who first conceived these words and then committed them to writing through the hands of these writers of Scripture. And it's Him, the Holy Spirit, who literally and actually continues to remain within these words of these scriptures that are preached. And it's Him, the Holy Spirit, who also resides within the heart of every person as they listen to those words that are being preached. God knows the weaknesses within the hearts and minds of men and women. And He graciously provides us with all those many layers upon layers of protection. His word is ever and always true. And His Holy Spirit is faithful to administer it with purity to every willing heart. And it's therein that we can have confidence as we receive His words of truth. But with all that being said, does that mean that we will never be led astray by the deception of others? And even especially those church leaders? And the answer is unfortunately no. There still remains a stumbling block that can allow us to be led astray by false teaching. And that stumbling block takes place when we find ourselves putting more faith in the person of the church leader, the preacher, than we put in the word that he's preaching. And it's then that we stumble. Let me say that again. Most of the stumbling takes place when we find ourselves putting more faith in the person of the church leader, that preacher, 
that teacher than we put in the words that are being preached and taught. That's where we stumble. Folks, I do want you to love me and to trust me. But unfortunately, within that trust can come a failure for us all. Yes, I want to be faithful and true to God and to his words of truth. But folks, regrettably, I am fallible. And I know that. I know my ways are fallible. And you really must be careful to listen and to follow God's word. God's word. And not my own. Not my own. At my core, folks, I have many of the same possibilities of failure as did those scribes and Pharisees. So these words of Jesus really do apply to me. But let me also say, they apply to Billy Graham. They apply to Franklin Graham and to others that we might enjoy listening to. We are all fallible. So then, do these words that I've just said sound a little contradictory? Especially when I said that we are protected by the Holy Spirit. We're safeguarded by the Holy Spirit. They're really not contradictory because God's expectation of you and me has to come in as part of the consideration. This walk that the Lord wants you and me to walk with Him is intended to be a very, very narrow pathway. And we have responsibilities within that pathway. And inside that narrow pathway is a life that's filled with endless choices. Endless choices. Choices that God has deliberately placed within our path. Choices that demand that a free will decision from us be made to shun evil, to listen carefully, and to choose righteousness. To know when we are hearing righteous words of God being preached and when we're not. And that testing, that testing of our faith is absolutely necessary in order to raise up and train up children of a holy God in real and true faith. And it's only as our faith is tested that we're drawn nearer to Him. And it's only then that we begin to really know Him and to know His character and to know His truth. And it's then that we develop that special spiritual awareness spoken about in these scriptures, that awareness that enables us to listen and to recognize and to even turn away from deceptive teachings from those false teachers. So very important. And the Lord Jesus here in Matthew chapter 23, he gives us some of these recognizable signs that you and I should look for. He says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything that they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. So much of what we read here is clearly being seen in our modern church settings today. Especially within those churches that seem to focus their ministry on health and wealth and prosperity. And I don't just mention them to be critical. It takes place in every church. 
and they put heavy burdens on their church members, while their church leaders seem to enjoy personal wealth. And then also another of the obvious ways for us to recognize the kind of church leaders that the Lord Jesus is warning us about here can be seen as we watch some of those men and women being interviewed in the national media. So often we find that those church leaders love the accolades, the praises that get showered upon them by the person who is interviewing them. And they allow their conversation, listen, they allow their conversations to be directed away from the person and work of Christ onto themselves and onto their own personal work and accomplishments. Let me say that again. They seem to allow their conversations to be directed away from the person and work of Christ onto themselves and to their own personal work and accomplishments. And those two can very easily be confused. They can look like they are the same thing, but they're not. And I must tell you that I have witnessed that taking place very often. And it's all done in the guise of ministry. But Jesus warns us about all that. He says, beware of the false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but there are ravenous wolves out there. And then what was Jesus' advice to those corrupt leaders? In verse 41, he said, But rather give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you. Now what did he mean by that? What did he mean by those words? He was telling those church leaders that rather than seeking benefit and acclaim and wealth for themselves they should instead turn from their corrupt ways and begin to give. Give of their wealth, give of their time, give of their efforts, give of anything and everything that they had so that others might gain eternal life. Now one last thought. The truth that Jesus wanted those men then and you and I to realize is that it does no eternal good to be clean on the outside of our soul but corrupt on the inside. To look like a good Christian, to look like a good Christian before your friends and fellow church members. Clean on the outside, but not clean on the inside. Friends, you and I must do as Jesus is instructing us. You and I must receive God's word as it's given to us in these scriptures. And then we need to let it do its divine work of making us clean on the inside, as well as clean on the outside. Now, one last thought, and we'll close. The truth that the Lord Jesus would have you and me to follow each day is the truth that's given within the words of this scripture. And that's why it's so very, very important that we dedicate ourselves to the reading and to the knowing of these precious truths. A daily reading. Do you do a daily reading of God's Word, so that you can know what He has to say, so that you can then know when those false teachers and preachers are saying something wrong. It's only as you and I read these precious words of truth and commit them to our own understanding, it's then and then only that we'll be able to recognize a false teacher and then to turn away from them and to turn away from their teaching.
Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, we confess to you that we have a weakness. We would rather listen than learn. Too often we take only what we're told and accept it. Help us instead to truly commit ourselves to reading and understanding your truth from your scriptures. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.